Hey everybody, I am Stephanie Goss and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week's episode is going to take a slight detour off of our normal track in that I am joined by a very special guest today. I am joined by my friend and colleague, a wonderful human being who I am super excited to get to share some of her with you all, and that is Dr. Molly McAllister. Molly is the Chief Medical Officer for Mars Veterinary Health, and uh, the reason I asked Molly to join me on the podcast, there's there's so many, and obviously, as you can tell, I have several fangirl moments uh, during during this episode, but I asked Molly to join me because I think that she's very inspiring and she's involved in a lot of things in veterinary medicine that are near and dear to my heart. And I thought it would be fun to share some of her journey and some of her thoughts and wisdom that she has gained over her career on her leadership journey with all of you. And so if you listen to the podcast regularly, you heard Andy and I do an episode recently where we shared some of our leadership lessons and it inspired me to take a little bit of a detour uh, when Andy is otherwise occupied and doing other things to share with you all and invite some of the people that I admire in veterinary medicine to come have some conversation with me and talk about their journey as leaders. And so this is one of those episodes and I'm hoping that you enjoy it. If you do, we'll bring some more of these to you in the future. Now let's get into it. And now the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. Today is a little bit different, as I said in our introduction, and I am very excited and very privileged to be joined uh, by Dr. Molly McAllister. For those of you who don't know Molly, she is currently the newest chief medical officer for Mars Veterinary Health. Uh, Molly and I met when she was the chief medical officer at Banfield, and uh, we had the opportunity to work on some projects together. And I am super excited for today's conversation. Um, Molly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I am so excited to be here. I love listening to what you do, who you talk to, and I'm really honored to have the chance to spend the time with you. Oh, well, I am excited. We are going to get into some stuff today. And right off the bat, uh, for everyone, I'm going to ask kind of or set, talk about one of the obvious um, elephants in the room. And it's something that I've experienced too. And I know you have. So you work, uh, obviously, in the biggest, I think, of the big corporate medicine. And I know when I joined corporate medicine, I got a lot of questions and comments. And there's a perception sometimes in veterinary medicine that uh, corporate hospitals are um, is so is negative. It's really negative, and there's a whole lot of of thoughts um, across the board. And um, I was really. Um, I was really had a great experience. And I recognize that my experience is not the same and everybody has different experiences. And uh, I definitely had my own perception of uh, of Banfield when we started working together. And that is a radically different perception than I have now, three years later. Uh, but um, it's part of why I wanted to talk to you because I think when I think of... Um, people that are leaders in veterinary medicine that I wanted to talk about. And Andy and I first started talking about doing this series. And he was like, I'll let you go rogue and talk to whoever you want. And your name was at the top <laughs> of my list. Because um, when I think about leaders in veterinary medicine that are passionate about people and culture 
and development and growing leaders, I don't know that there is a name that goes faster to the top of my list than yours, because I have not had the opportunity uh, or privilege to work with another leader at the level that you are working at, who really is truly cares about every single person uh, that works under them from the people on your direct team to the assistants in the hospitals um, that you maybe only get to see once every two years, right? Like they're not people that you're seeing every day, but you really truly care about the people and the development. Um, And I think that that matters so much. And that's a big part of why I wanted to talk to you about your leadership journey, um, because I think that it's not something that you get enough recognition or credit for um, in in your role. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, so so many things to say about this, and I guess I'll start by saying one of um, li- you know just a, a little bit about my history. I won't go into a lot of yes. depth right now, but yeah. I'll just say that I I was late to realizing that I wanted to go to veterinary school. I didn't actually make that decision until after I graduated from undergrad. I knew I wanted to be in animal health somehow, but um, it took me a while. And when I went to veterinary school, I didn't have a really clear vision of what I was going to do with my career. I had thoughts of everything from zoo medicine to equine medicine, um, conservation medicine, small animal practice. I mean, I, I really was open. And the reason I say that is because as I went through school and had a lot of different experiences, and, and in my career, I've been in a variety of aspects of our industry. But what I noticed over time was that regardless of what we were passionate about or what we are passionate about, regardless of the focus of why we're in this profession, you know, I, I want to be an equine vet. I want to take care of cows. I want to go back to my community and serve my community. I want to go be a famous radiologist, you know, whatever the spectrum is. The reality is that I have not met a person in this profession who isn't here out of a sense of purpose and passion for what we do. And that goes on into today veterinary professionals are amazing people. And I mean that from everybody who's spending a summer working in a veterinary hospital, you know, just as a a part-time job to people who've devoted their life to nothing but veterinary medicine. We are here for passion and purpose. And so when I think about corporate medicine and the reputation that it has, I take that bit of knowledge of who we are as people in the profession And I apply that to the types of ways that we do business. And it's like a real disconnect for me to say, oh, because people do their business in a certain way, that suddenly means they're not connected to the purpose. They're not connected to the passion. And the reality is that when you go and talk to anybody, go to a conference, ask somebody why they do what they do and ask them where they work. And the what they, why they do what they do will be very similar and where they work will be very different. Um, and so I see that. I see that in industry. I see that in corporate practice. I see that in private practice, equine, bovine, small animal, wildlife. And so I guess what it, what it all boils down to for me is that I understand, you know, some of that, that skepticism. I understand some of the fear, some of the concern about what does it look like when business people start running veterinary practices. I get it. And I think what we also have to remember, though, is that this is not a bunch of, we aren't people who get pushed around. We aren't people who get told what to do. We are professionals in our own right. And so I think you can look at it as, ooh, business people running veterinary practices, or you could say it's business people partnering with veterinarians to try to create a sustainable business model and make sure that we can continue to provide care, not just for the pets that we all care about, but for the people 
that are working in the veterinary hospital when we know that compensation is a, a real challenge for all of us, again, at all levels. We're not human healthcare professionals. So I could go on and on, but what, you know, what I'll say, I'll go back to that root of this is a great profession filled with great people. And regardless of where those people work or how the work gets done, I still think you have to come back to that why is so powerful. And I don't see corporate medicine being taking away the why. So, so that's been, you know, that's been my experience. And then the other, the other piece I'll, I'll just add on to um, just a, a teeny bit about, you know, Mars as a company, because I do think it's important to know that Mars is a, a family held business. And what is amazing is that Mars, everybody thinks, in fact, when, when I had my first interview, I, th- I said, the candy company, M&M, Snickers, <laughs> like, what is this about pet care? But the Mars family are animal fanatics. They are pet lovers through and through. And I have the chance to connect with various family members, you know, in the course of my career and over the course of the year, I, I touch base with them. And when they ask me questions about the business, they don't ask me how much money we make. They don't ask me how many pets we're seeing. They ask me things like, how are our people doing? Are we taking care of pets? Are we giving dogs longer lives? Are we making sure that cats get to the vet? That's what they care about. And, you know, so, you know, call it what you will. I, but I believe that they believe in the purpose of our profession. And I think that's, you know, as long as we're here for a purpose, that's a great why, regardless of who you are and how you do the work. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to work with this episode for anybody who's like, oh my gosh, they are talking all about corporate medicine. That's not what today is about because uh, it's just one piece of who you are and where you are in your career. And um, when I think about you, I think about uh, development and leadership, as I said. And I also think um, about diversity and I think about inclusion, which uh, to some people may sound crazy because uh, you and I are both white women. And <laughs> I think yeah. that I think that we, uh, you know, people are like, why, why would that matter? And I see um, the work that you are doing and some of it on, uh, you know, behalf of your company and, and you have the privilege to be in a position to affect change there. And um, I, I think that there's so many things when I sat down to think about what am I going to talk about with you, I was like, there's so many things that I think of. uh, And the word passion comes to mind for you. Is there something that really truly feels like your passion project at this point in your career where you like, if you were to define the thing that you're most passionate about in veterinary medicine, and there are so many and in your position as the (laughs) medical officer, like chief medical officer, you could talk about medicine, you could talk about, you know, there's a million things that you get to touch. But is there something that when you think about the heart of why you love coming to work every day, that stands out for you as your passion. Yeah, I mean, if I was if I was going to be unfair about this, I would just give it a big overarching title, and then I tell you about all the things in it because because it you know it it isn't any one thing. But but I <laughs> so this may not be fair to you, Stephanie, but I'll tell you. You know, to me, there's a couple things that are really important to me. One is you know just very personally, I have a I have a six year old daughter who wants to be a veterinarian. So you know, and I know many of us are in that position of children, siblings, you know, friends, I want a profession that she could enter and I could feel great about that. And she could have a successful thriving life as a veterinary professional. So, so that's, you know, that's a very close to home every single day kind of purpose. But the other thing I would say is that over the course of my life, my career, I've had the chance to travel around the world. I've had the chance to live in different cultures. 
I've had the chance to interact with a lot of different people. And I, like many professionals, like many veterinary professionals, I see the impact that animals have on people, whether it's to their livelihood, you know, a part of their livelihood, whether it's companionship. And I think that, you know, it goes without saying that's been accentuated during the pandemic when people have really looked to pets to provide that sense of connection and companionship. And so I, I would say what, what that means is providing people with access to veterinary care is critical, not just because pets should be healthy, but because it's about more than just what we do as veterinarians. It's about taking care of people. It's about taking care of communities. And it may sound cheesy, but you know, I believe that pets make people better. And if we take care of pets and we take care of that relationship and the human animal bond, I do actually believe we can make the world a better place. So, you know, call me aspirational, but but that's huge. And so in that bucket, you know, access to care is a huge passion for me. And I think one of the things I'm specifically focused on is around diversity and inclusion because the demographics of pet owners are changing, shifting, and, and broadening, which is fantastic. And we have a responsibility for to be there for them in the way that is meaningful and that connects. And that means we need to be diverse and we need to bring a broad variety of, of personalities and looks and perspectives into veterinary clinics so that pet owners can find the right match. And it's funny, you know, I remember, as you said, you know, I'm a, I'm a white woman. I've worked in a lot of clinics staffed fully by white staff. Even in those scenarios, though, I mean, how many of us can relate to the fact of you might have four veterinarians in the clinic and you're going to have clients who gravitate towards one doctor or another. And to the point that it's in their record, you do not schedule them an appointment yeah. with Dr. Smith, <laughs> but they will only see Dr. Jones. And and so you expand that, you know, amongst uh, or within the diversity that exists in our world. And you say, why would it not make sense that we need to be a more diverse and inclusive profession so that we can take care of pets? and the people that belong to them. And so that is, you know, a passion project for me that plays out in a variety of ways. Um, one of the things I'm really passionate about is being part of the board and, and founding the Diversified Veterinary Medicine Coalition, who is aiming to advance BIPOC representation in our profession. But it's also about the youth awareness programs that are in place that, you know, Mars is sponsoring some of them, others I'm, I'm involved with that are, aren't affiliated with Mars. But just how do we make it so that any kid who has a love for pet and a consideration of wanting a career working with animals sees that as a possible path? So I could go on and on, but I'll stop there. <laughs> no, I, I love that so much. And I think that it's it's so important. And I think that um, it's it's one of the things that I appreciate Um about you is that you just have a your passion is so genuine and just in having conversation getting getting to have conversation with you and and talk about it like you you can feel your excitement and your enthusiasm uh and I and I love it and I think we need more of that in veterinary medicine because I think we're in this space where there is a lot wrong and there is you know, we we started the episode to kind of talking about perceptions and I think there's also some perception in veterinary medicine that we are broken and that we, uh, you know, we can't, um, we, we are such a hot mess that are, you know, where are we ever going to be able to, to fix it? And we talk about, you know, the suicide epidemic in veterinary medicine and, uh, you know, the mental health crisis and we, everything feels, um, can feel overwhelmingly negative when we get into that headspace. And yet, um, you know, to, to your point, we are a very, 
uh, underrepresented. We have very underrepresented uh, people of uh, color in veterinary medicine and uh, just opportunity. You know, I mean, the cost to go to vet school is enormous. And so that presents right off the bat a huge barrier for for people of all shapes and sizes in terms of entering our profession. And it affects everybody from our technicians to our doctors. Uh, I'm still paying off uh, school debt from having gone back to school to, to go through my technician program. So, you know, I, I feel that. And I think that um, it, I love the positive approach that you uh, are, are bringing to that. And um, it just, it's, it's refreshing. I, I certainly appreciate it. Do you, do you feel like um, there, if you could think of one stand out lesson that you wish that you had learned earlier in your career as a leader, because your career has just taken such a, a kind of wandering path and you've tried a bunch of different things. And so I'm, I know that you have learned a lot of lessons. Is there something that you wish that you had learned earlier on in your leadership career? So many things. <laughs> so many things I wish I could go back to. Um, let me digress for just one moment, which is um, when you talk about the perception of, of our profession. And one of the things I learned recently, it was from a 2020 study that uh, Banfield commissioned with Lincoln Memorial University. And they surveyed uh, BIPOC students, middle school and high school students about their interest in animal health and veterinary medicine. <clears throat> what they found is that Amongst different, well, they actually looked at broader demographics. Amongst demographics, the interest in veterinary medicine is pretty equivalent as kids are in, in middle school. As they go through their high school years, the that is where the disparity grows tremendously. And when they actually surveyed students to find out why that was, what they found is that white students drop off, you know, decide not to, to pursue veterinary medicine because they're concerned about their ability to tolerate the rigors of the educational demands. They're worried about their ability to deal with the sadness of the profession. That Those are the kinds of things that, that deter white students from going to veterinary school. For black students, the number one deterrent is that they are counseled by an advisor, a mentor, a parent, a leader, that this is not a career path that they could they should pursue. And that's oftentimes due to the financial burden, as well as the perception that we are a very white, pro white profession. profession. And yeah. so, and, and I will get back to, to your other question, but I, I think that that's important because, you know, the way we, we talk about what we do and who we talk about it to has a real impact, not just today, but on future generations. And so re being really intentional. Um, and so, so I'm going to go to, you know, to one of the leadership <laughs> lessons that I wish that I wish I would have remembered or learned earlier, I should say is, and it's a life lesson, you know, it's, it's to find the gratitude in every day and to find things. It doesn't mean that things can't be really hard. We have really, you know, we all have hard days and I have had, you know, plenty of them, but to find that little spark of gratitude to say it was a really challenging day, but don't forget that you made Mrs. Jones smile, or you took some emotional burden off of Mr. Smith or I heard you on a podcast a couple of months ago talking about the joy that a puppy that's so ugly that it's so adorable can bring <laughs> you during the day. And, you know, I think I wish, <laughs> I wish that I had learned that earlier because I think when I think about some of the times that I went through challenges with burnout, it was really about not being able to connect with those moments. 
I also wish that at, from starting from an earlier point in time that I thought about talking about those meaningful moments, the moments I'm grateful for more intentionally. And I do believe in the power of positivity. And I don't want to say that as a Pollyanna by any means. We do have a lot of challenges, but I do believe that when you talk just about the challenges, it self-perpetuates. And when you talk about the positives, they can self-perpetuate. And I think there's an opportunity for us to just remember that there are a lot of hard things we have to tackle. And we also can't forget about the the heart-lifting things that happen every day in veterinary clinics that fill our buckets. And, and not just, to, you know, we need that for ourselves for sure. And I think we need to help others recognize that, that, um, that there are bright spots, even in hard days in this profession. And I say that very carefully. You know, I don't want to diminish the challenges by any means. No, but. no, I, I love that so much. And I think it it's, uh, you're speaking the uncharted love language. And I think that's, um, that's the number one thing that people say when they think of uncharted is that they think about, um, it, they have heard that it's a positive community. And I think that that is at the heart of what, uh, our whole team, um, does and particularly for myself and for Andy, um, as you know, like it is, it is so important to recognize that we do have challenges in our profession and challenges can be, um, overcome. They can be, uh, walked around. Uh, you know, sometimes we sit at something and we just think that this is insurmountable and there's no way to get around this. And yet I, um, you know, even the really, the things that really hurt my heart, the, the mental, the mental health challenges, the losing, uh, colleagues to suicide, uh, knowing that like that, it hurt, when you said the statistic about BIPOC students, like that hurts my heart that an adult that they care about would tell them that they sh- would discourage them from pursuing a career that they show passion for because of the barriers like that hurts. And at the same time, I don't, I choose not to believe that those are, uh, you know, insurmountable challenges and that we can't affect change. It may be slow and it may be so painfully slow that we want to scream some days, but that doesn't mean that we can't um, affect the change. And so that's, uh, that's one of the things that I uh, really ad- admire about you and, and the work that you're doing and kind of the outlook that you bring. Um, I want to, I want to go to something that you, uh, that you said, because it's something else that, that I have wondered about you. Um, you are one of those people that <laughs> I look at and I think this woman is an energizer bunny because, <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you, t- you know, you talked about uh, manifesting positivity. And one of the ways that I see you do that, um, that I really admire is that you share yourself sometimes quite candidly on social media. Um, and you, uh, you know, post about your work and your passion for what you're doing and your, your life and your, your kids and, you know, the, the belief that you have that you want to leave uh, a legacy for, for your daughter in veterinary medicine, which I think is, is so, um, admirable and, and certainly resonates with me as a, as a parent. Um, how do you manage, your time and balance because holy cow woman, like <laughs> I, look at, I look at your post and I'm like, does she ever sleep? Because you were, you are doing so much. And I think yeah. that that's a challenge that affects a lot of us in veterinary medicine, but I, I think as affects in particular 
parents in veterinary medicine because we go to work and we work so hard and we give it all to our teams and our patients. And then we go home and we still have to give it all to our families. And it is a significant challenge. And I see you sharing uh, that in in the good and the bad um, openly on, on social media. Like, how do you balance all of that and find time to share things, uh, you know, and do social and, and, and run and have, have the yeah. life that you have. Cause you, uh, you know, and I, I recognize, I say that and recognizing that it's hard and right. And that's one of the things that I appreciate is that you're honest about when it doesn't work and when things kind of feel like they're falling apart. Yeah. And I'll say, I mean, you know, to, to, to start it all off, I'll say one of the reasons I do post that on social media is, is one of the life lessons I've learned. The leadership lessons is that, like it or not, when you start leading people, um, you you become a role model. And and that's not just because you are placed in a position of leadership. When you're the senior person in a practice, when you're mentoring people, when you're, I mean, we are all leaders in our own right. And we, you know, we all have some opportunity to role model. And being in the role that I, that I, the last couple of roles that I've been in, I've recognized that I do, uh, I, I do have an opportunity to role model and to carve out what I think should be the expectations for working parents, for working moms, for, you know, just for, for people in the workforce. And, um, you know, going, going back to just briefly, you know, I'll say another thing I, I really believe about corporations is that they are the people that make them up. I mean, yes, they haven't, they have a, you know, a vision, they have policies, but at the end of the day, they are the culture that the people within them leave, lead. And so, you know, I, I view my role in shaping culture as critically important. And I've always actually felt that way, not just because I'm the chief medical officer, but I've somewhere along the way, it was instilled in me that you are part of a community and you shape that community. So all of that is to say, one of the reasons that I do post as much personally as I do professionally is because I think it's important for people to see that we are whole people and we must be whole people, regardless of the level of position that you're in. Um, so how do I balance? You know, I think um, I learn well through trauma. And so, <laughs> Fair. so I've gone through some really challenging times where I didn't know what the path forward would look like. I didn't know how I would get up out of bed the next day and keep going. And that's hit me a couple, you know, a few different times in life, I think, as it has for many people. And what I eventually have pieced together from those events is that if I do not take care of myself, I cannot do the things I'm passionate about and I cannot take care of the people who depend on me. And that became even more apparent as a parent, but it's not, it's not exclusive to parents. You know, I have a team that depends on me. I have a community that depends on me. I have a business that depends on me. I have to take care of myself if I want to make the world a better place, which at the end of the day, as cliche as it sounds, that's what I want to do. And so that idea of having to really be clear about defining some boundaries and saying, I'm, I'm going to do this. And that, that has been something, I mean, that has been a lesson. I still learn that lesson. I still say, should I go to that exercise class? Because I really should probably prep for that meeting. I mean, yesterday, this was yesterday morning. I was like, yeah, I should probably be prepping, but no, if I don't take an hour and go to the exercise class, what is that going to feel like to me? So, I mean, it is a day-to-day -day conversation that I have in my little brain about, you know, about what to prioritize. But, um, but in doing it consistently, I've developed that routine and I see how the routine helped me, helps me. And I'm not a machine that routine gets broken. And then I'm, I'm aware of, wow, when I'm not doing the things that 
take care of me, I don't show up as my as my best self. So I think that's been really critical. And then the, the, there's another important part, part of that, which is that I've had to learn to say no. And I've had to learn that I can focus on a critical few priorities, but I can't be everything to everyone. That is, you know, there's a, um, it's about 10 years ago, I was exposed to a woman. And I think, I think the title of her book was, um, in order to be great, you have to be bad or something like that. Her name is Frances Fry, if anyone's interested in reading about it. But her her concept is basically, if you want to be great at something, you have to be bad at other things. Otherwise, you suffer from exhaustive mediocrity. You're trying to do everything and you can't do it well. And so, again, it's taken me a while to learn to get comfortable with saying no. Frankly, I'm not comfortable. I hate to say no. But, <laughs> but to have the internal conversation with myself of, Molly, yeah. you're going to have to say no to this because you can't make that happen if you're also trying to do these other three things that are either not your priorities or they're lower priorities or, you know, there's something somebody else thinks you should do. And um, I, I'm grateful that I've, I've grown in that way. And it is still a daily process of saying what's really important for today, what's really important for what I want in the long term, and how do I make that play out today? And some days I suck at it. <laughs> and some days I feel really good about it. I I love that you uh that you shared that it does not surprise me that you shared uh in the candid way that you did because it it's who you like uh, you just are authentic in in it and I think that's another thing that resonates with with me as as who I am as part of uncharted um and I'll I will share um that when I uh, first started working with you and the team at Banfield, uh, uh, was shortly after the the pandemic. And I, um, I learned a very powerful lesson from, uh, the kind of the culture, uh, at Banfield and that the area chiefs of staff is who, uh, Andy and I have been working with. And I tell them this regularly and, uh, and share my gratitude with them because I never learned uh, that lesson, I don't think in private practice. And it's funny because I was in the position of leading a practice and being a part owner in a practice and getting to call the shots. And you would think that when you are in that position, that if you want to take time to recharge or you want to, to, you know, be in charge of your own schedule, you would think that that would be the case. And yet, private practice owners and leaders and managers are the worst about okay. taking care of themselves, uh, you know, in, in whole, uh, as a generalization. And I really am, and it has profoundly impacted my, my life on both a personal and professional level to see the culture that, um, your team really led um, by example, which was saying no, and also having boundaries when it comes to, taking care of yourself so that you can take care of other people. And I was horrible about taking time off and scheduling the things. And I would literally be like, Oh, I have to do this thing with the kids. Okay, well, I'll take the time from the schedule, go do the thing with the kids, and then I'll come back and do three more hours of work. Like, I, you know, that was how I lived my life, because I thought that I, I, I was living in that place of mediocrity of a lot of things because I was not saying no. And I was trying to be all the things to all of the people. And, um, you know, Andy and I have talked candidly on the podcast about um, some of our personal experiences with burnout and getting to that place of just overwhelm and exhaustion where it's like, I'm, I don't want to get out of bed today. And I don't want to go to work. And I don't have um, the ability 
the emotional capacity to have excitement or energy, even for the cute puppy or kitten. <laughs> like I just don't care and I don't want to be here. And that's a really, um, it, I really struggled with that uh, because I love what we do and I love getting to uh, go to work. And that for me was always like, a wake up call. Oh, hi. It's, you know, it's t- if you're not already talking to your therapist, like it's, it's, t- it's time to take your, take your ass <laughs> yes. to therapy because, <laughs> because this is not a good sign. Uh, but it's one of the, the lessons that they taught me because you, you guys really walk your talk about um, taking time off, taking care of yourselves, having boundaries. And I, I love that you say that no one's perfect at it. And, and I love the area chiefs are like, Oh, yeah, I, I really like, I, <laughs> we were just having a meeting with them, actually. And one of them was like, I, I was gonna turn off my phone, because I'm on vacation. But I literally just answered it. <laughs> you know, so just, yeah, yeah. just recognizing, oh, okay, and I did the thing that I said I wasn't gonna do. And now I'm gonna turn it off. And now I'm gonna enjoy the rest of my vacation. And I'm like, why are you even talking to us if you're on vacation? Like, go, <laughs> <laughs> because you, know, you guys are amazing, but no, 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 no. But I'm with, I'm with, I'm with you, and, it, and I think I think the important piece. I mean, that's a great example. You know, sometimes it means saying no to something you really actually would like to, do, to do, or someone you want to spend time with. I mean, that's that's been the hardest thing for me. Is it's not about do I want to or don't I want to. It's been about you know having to really sit down and be clear with myself. What are my top priorities, and is this one of my top priorities? And and sometimes having that really hard conversation of, you know, and, and, and I do believe no is a full sentence and, you know, when it's somebody I love or something I'm passionate about, you know, having to say, this isn't the time. Can I, can I connect you with somebody else? Is there, you know, can I, I mean, sometimes it's, it's no. And let me see if I can help in a different way. Um, but I do think that that, and that's been important to me because it would break my heart to just say no, 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 no. Um, and not see some things go forward, but sometimes it's no, not me. I mean, going back to leadership, it's also been a great lesson to realize sometimes my team is like, hoping that I'll give them the chance or, you know, they're looking for a chance to develop and take something on. And I think, oh, I mean, you know, I get into that mindset of, oh, I'm the only one who can do this. They're asking me, I'm so busy. I don't have time. And that's all I think about as opposed to, oh, I can get this done in a creative way. And it doesn't, just because somebody asks for help doesn't mean that they want me to devote to do the thing. And so what about Molly using that, (laughs) you know, using some of these life lessons and thinking creatively about how to, you know, how to provide help if need be. Um, but you also, you can't help absolutely everybody who reaches out, unfortunately. I love that. Do you, uh, do you think that there's something that is kind of a commonly held belief or, or perception, um, about veterinary medicine that you disagree with? Oh, that's a great question. Let me think about this for a minute. Oh my goodness. We had such a great time in Greenville recently for our Practice Leader Summit. And a few huge announcements came out of that. Number one, registration is now open for our April event. Uh, And I know you're thinking April is really, really far away, Stephanie. However, um, if you've been thinking about coming to join us in Greenville for an event for some time and you haven't pulled the trigger, you're gonna want to do it this time because in 2024, we are having a last hurrah at our home in Greenville. The Weston Poinsett is a beautiful, beautiful venue. It's right downtown Greenville, which is an amazingly walkable, fun place that is filled with 
food and drinks and shopping. And believe me when I say that our members have a great time at the conference and they also get out and have a great time in Greenville. And um, the Weston is amazing and we have been there for years and it's time to take our show on the road. And so while we will be coming back to, to Greenville uh, and to the Weston in the future, we are uh, doing our April conference in Greenville and then we are going to be heading out on the road uh, where we have our, our practice owner summit in the back half of December next year. So 2024, we're going to be out on the road somewhere. We've got uh, some road shows that are going to be happening. So there are going to be lots of traveling Uncharted events coming in 2024 and 2025. So if you've been thinking about coming to Greenville and you haven't pulled the trigger, now is your chance. And the other big announcement that we made at Practice Leader Summit was the fact that our Uncharted members have a huge new perk. That's right. There is something happening for community members that when you sign up for a membership, which is $6.99 for 12 months, you are now getting access to something that costs the general public $4.99. So for a tiny difference, you get 12 months of access to our community. You get discounts on events like the April conference. You get uh, membership, you get workshops, you get conversation, you get parties and events, all kinds of amazing stuff. There has never been a better time to become an Uncharted member than right now. And I don't want you to miss it. So head on over to unchartedvet.com forward slash membership and check out all of the amazing benefits. Sign up because we want to see you in Greenville in April, 2024. And now back to the podcast. Do you think that there's something that is kind of a commonly held belief or or perception um, about veterinary medicine that you disagree with? What comes to mind for me is I, I think that, um, well, it probably goes back to, I'm going to have to formulate this into something a bit more eloquent, but it, it goes back to, you know, you can be a great veterinarian in all the ways of, in all the ways of providing compassion and, and nurturing and being there for people and you can have boundaries. And I, I think that is a, I don't know if that's a you know stated myth, but I sense that as a myth for a lot of folks in our clinics is that if you create boundaries, you're not taking care of that pet to the ability, you know, to the greatest ability, to your greatest ability. You're not taking care of that client. You're not serving their needs. And I don't believe that to be true. And maybe this falls a little bit into my geeky, you know, I believe I let, population health is a thing I love. You know, it's, it's not just about taking care of one person and their pet. It's about all the people who need us and how can we, how can we maximize our reach? And if we don't create the boundaries, we, we, we get, you get sucked into you know, I've never said this before, but kind of what it comes to is like, you can get sucked into diminishing returns. Like you continue to be there and provide help and provide the empathy and provide the counseling and, and you're not getting the same return for that, that you would if you invested that energy into the, the next person who, who needs a little bit of, of your time. And so, and I don't mean this to, this isn't just about, you know, go out and see the world and see all the pets. It's not that it's just about like, again, create the boundaries and you can be the best version of yourself for the next client who needs you and the next day that you work in the clinic. And I think that that is um, a sentiment that I, I wish, I wish somebody had said that to me explicitly as a veterinary student, 
because I think we are all here for, you know, passion can be a curse sometimes because that passion can, can, you know, draw you into doing, going beyond your own needs. And I think that um, we need to be more explicit about teaching. I think teaching young veterinary professionals that it's okay to, to close that door, to say, you know, to say thank you and, and not solve all the problems in the world. Oh, I love that so much. Uh, do you uh, do you think that um, there is something that you wish that your younger self, like if you could go back and talk to Molly, the vet student, is there a is there a lesson or something that you would tell her, uh, knowing how far you've come in in your journey and where you are now? Um, yes. And it would, it would, number one, there's, there's probably a long list again, all the things that I wish I, wish I could, all the knowledge. Hindsight is wisdom. a very good teacher. <laughs> and I know my, myself 20 years from now, will be saying the same yes. thing to myself today. Um, but the, I think the number one thing would be, it's okay to ask for help. And I, um, feel like so many of us and I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll own it myself. I, came into this profession feeling like I've gotten this degree. I have this knowledge. I now need to be the veterinarian. I need to solve the problem. And, you know, one of the, one of, I'll tell a, a personal story that was, you know, really, I, it has had a lot of impact on my life. This little thing. I am um, when I, one of the small animal hospitals that I worked at, um, as I went to work there, they were transitioning from 30 minute appointments to 15 minute appointments. And I had, I was actually in Israel, I was coming from equine medicine where, you know, I'd just been out in a truck. You weren't trying right. to see 20 pets a day. You were just, how fast could you get through traffic to get right. to the next appointment? So I was making the transition to small animal medicine. I, you know, was getting my feet underneath me with 30 minute appointments. And then they made the decision, you know, for a variety of reasonable reasons, we were going to go to 15 minute appointments. And I really struggled. I didn't know how to, I, I mean, I just, I, I realized now I didn't know how to make that shift. And so a week or two into it, the practice manager sat me down and said, Molly, the staff are concerned. They think that you're like intentionally going slow. You're trying, <laughs> you know, you're keeping people late. It was, I mean, you know, and oh, I, mean, this, no. I mean, the way I remember that conversation now feeling very much like, you aren't doing this and everybody around you says you're not doing it and you need to fix this or, you know, or else. And number one, nobody had ever questioned my work ethic in my entire life. You know, and that's essentially what it was. They're like, you know, you're, you're intentionally going slow because you don't like the shorter appointments. And it, it like that, I remember going home from work that day and just like breaking in down into tears. And what I didn't realize at the time was that I didn't know how to do it. What I felt was like, they're just being so mean to me. And I didn't realize that I just needed to ask for help. Right. You know, you we didn't get any other workflow changes. There wasn't help in the exam room to take, you know, get help taking a history, things like we were still working on paper records. So it was like, you know, coming out of the exam room, trying to write things down as fast as I could. So I was just trying to solve it by working harder. I didn't have the tools and, and knowledge to do that. And if I had just, I think about it, if I had just stopped and said, can someone help me do this? Like, how could that have played out in a totally different way? And it's okay with the way it played out because it, you know, life, I, I believe in that, you know, things happen and, and they take you down paths you didn't plan for. But wow, if I had just stopped to say, can someone help me figure this out? And I've gotten better. I still have opportunities. I still walk around thinking, you know, oh, I can do this. I got this. Um, but I think sometimes it's even, I think it's the most powerful 
some of the most powerful help you can ask for is when you don't realize you need it, which is, that sounds weird to say, but it's like when it's glaringly obvious that you don't know what to do, yes, of course you ask for help. But I think there's times when you think, I can probably figure this out. I can power my way through this. I can, and those are the times where you actually have to stop and say, maybe there's somebody around me who could do this better or help me think about this differently. And, you know, there's like this, this whole concept of taking more intentional pauses in my life that I really need to embody. because (laughs) I think it's really good to not just get rolling down the road. And I, I do have a tendency to do that. And um, so anyway, so there we go back to, I wish I had known more that or known that it was okay to ask for help. Well, and I think that goes back to something that you said earlier about when you ask for help as as a leader or just as a person, you have no way of knowing what opportunity you're creating for other people to step up in your life. And I mean that not just in our practices, but in our, in our lives in general, like, um, especially as a, as a leader, you know, being a, being a business and leadership podcast, like when when you say, hey, I could use some help with this, you are absolutely creating opportunities for other people on your team to step up and step forward. Um, And maybe they're demonstrating talents that you already knew that they had, but it's also an opportunity to uncover new talents. And I think what you said is so true is that we're so conditioned, I think, by the a lot of it has to do with, um, I think, in veterinary medicine, the educational system and the way that we kind of learn to think that we have to have all the answers and we have to know all of the things and that we're doing something wrong if we can't, if we can't handle it on on our own. And I think that we're probably doing something wrong if we do think that we can handle everything on our on our own. Because, I mean, you know, it's it's really like, you go to vet school. It's one of the things that I struggle with, with, with vet school in terms of the expectation for our new grads and young students coming out is like, you've gone to school and yes, you've learned so many things, but how well versed in any one of those things could you be when the curriculum breadth is so broad? And, you know, if you had said somebody was studying, you know, their one species for four years and maybe the, the, the breadth of their knowledge would be more uh, detailed at that point in time. But like you guys are just jamming so much into your brains in vet school. And it's it's not dissimilar in tech school, like the the broadness of our profession, you're trying to equip people in the same time span to handle something in zebras in zoo medicine, you know, that they may never go into zoo medicine, but you have to have some uh, you know, level of, of knowledge there. And it's, it's really it's something I think that we're conditioned. It helps condition us, I think, anyways, to think as a profession that we have to have all the answers. And I, I love that you said that about taking the intentional pauses, because I think that's a really powerful tool for all of us as leaders to remember in terms of creating that opportunity. It's yeah. And what you just said, I mean, it, it just struck me. It's we are trained to think that we should be everything to everyone. Or that we should be able to be everything to everyone, and you know, to some degree, and that is not a recipe for success in life or happy, you know, or happiness or joy. And so, I think there's a real opportunity for us culturally, you know, hope, hopefully influence academia, but also culturally, just change that so people realize it's okay to pause, it's okay to ask for help, and actually, it probably is going to get you a better outcome. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's as small as, as you know, do, doing it, I think, with our own team, but also recognizing like, it's okay to do that with our clients. You know, one of the first things I tell my team is if you get asked a question by a client and you don't know the answer, do not try and bullshit them and answer, come up with something on your own. Just tell them, you know what, that's a great question. Let me find out a really great answer for you. And I'm going to, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to circle back, whatever, whatever it is. Like, it's okay to say you don't know. And it doesn't matter whether it's your first day. I mean, we set them up that way in training to say, you know, I'm, I'm brand new. I don't actually know the answer to that. But I've been in veterinary medicine now over 20 years. Like I still say that when I'm in the clinic sometimes. That's actually a great question. I have no idea. Let me check with the rest of the team and I'm going to call you back. You know, like it's it's okay to say, I, I don't know. And I think that uh, that's a lesson I think we all could benefit from giving pause to and, and recognizing not only from the perspective of taking that burden off of ourselves in terms of feeling we have to have all of the answers, but also in terms of creating space uh, for the people around us to step in and step up to to help us, like you said, in, the, in that space, like what could have happened if you had asked that practice manager, hey, I don't know how to do that. Like, help me, you know? And, and maybe yeah. it would have still gone the same way that it did, but but maybe it, it wouldn't. And you don't know if you don't, if you don't ask. Um, okay, I part of why I wanted to have you on the podcast was because you are someone that I uh I look up to in in veterinary medicine. And I think that um I know for a fact how many people uh look up to you as a mentor or as a role model in veterinary medicine who is someone that you consider uh a, a mentor or a role model for you in veterinary medicine and 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 why like what what do they what stands out about them in your mind oh yeah well and you know i think i think what i've learned over time is i have i have so many different um mentors and role models you know that that model certain things that that i'm interested in so i'll tell you and this may be some cheesy but one of the people i look forward to calling when i have thoughts and questions is our friend andy roar um <laughs> you know and and i, I don't, don't that, tell I, him I, that you're just gonna I make know, this I, even I bigger than it already is <laughs> But the, you know, but I think the the why is important. You know, I think one of the things I look for are people who have some breadth of perspective, who are willing to be curious, and who, at the end of the day, um, can find a positive tilt. And and that's one of the things that I love about Andy. I think that um, you know another one is um, Janet Donlin is a very she's a uh, she is an amazing woman when I look at her career and the diversity of roles that she's held and. You know, the role that she's in today, I mean, my role isn't easy. Her role is is definitely not easy in what she does. And I think her her grace with how she manages the tension in um, and the, the tension and opportunity in the role that she has is something that I um, that I admire. And I, I'd say another one um, who I'd love to connect with is Eleanor Green. And she is someone with the feistiness and the <laughs> motivation and the drive. I mean, if I leave a conversation with Eleanor not wanting to go do something, like make something happen, it is not, you know, like there, there's something off. So, um, you know, I, I would, there would, there would be three people that I'd, I'd throw out there. And, you know, I think what I, what I love in our profession is that there's so many great, creative, innovative, thoughtful people 
really wanting to bring the positivity in our profession to life. And so as much as, you know, and I, I named those three thinking about people who, you know, kind of, uh, I think of as you said mentor, but I'll, I'll equally say that um, I probably get mentorship from younger members of our profession, even, even more frequently. And, um, you know, there, there are some great, great brains out there. Nicole, Nicole Bruno is somebody I love to connect with and her passion for culture and practices and what we can do to advance them. Um, I mean, there's, there's a whole multitude of people that I've gotten to work with. And I'd say I'm grateful for the pandemic because people that I've gotten to meet virtually that I, you know, might not have, have met otherwise. Um, and, and, and so anyway, I, I just, I'm so inspired, you know, it goes back to, we have a lot of challenges in our profession. We have a lot of things that we have to improve. We have some really great brains. We have some really great motivated people. And, you know, I think we can do a lot when we all work together and whether it's organized veterinary medicine, whether it's corporations coming together or whether it's just individuals coming together to say, we want to make this different. I, we um we don't know the the power and potential that we have i and i believe that is something we are going to really get to lean into in the next few years um we're building a profession for a whole different face of veterinary medicine and that is a really cool opportunity oh okay there's no better place for us to end than there because that is like i i love that answer so so much uh and i agree with you and i think about everybody that you named and i also think about when you said uh the younger profession and um it, it i'm at that stage in my career where i feel old a lot <laughs> um and i just had, i I just had a conversation last night about about uh, feeling like I don't understand TikTok. It's a thing, and I was just, and I was like, someone's going to have to give me lessons, but I'm not above learning. Uh, and I, one of the things that I love is seeing the younger faces of veterinary medicine, and I see it. It is bright, and it is diverse, and it is inclusive. And I, I feel that way about just the the younger generation um, in our world kind of as a whole. And I, when I see the, ch the change makers, I think, um, and it is inspiring to me. And I, I think that there's a lot of people that look at it, um, you know, apathetically sometimes at the younger generation, because the people think about things differently than prior generations, but that's <laughs> always been the case. Like, you know, our parents thought that about their parents who thought that about their parents. And, and I think, so I, I agree with you. The future of veterinary medicine is very bright. Um, and I am very excited about all of the change. Molly, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been truly so much fun. I have really enjoyed uh, you sharing yourself and your time with uh with me and with the podcast this has been fun thank you so much for the chance to do it i knew i loved connecting with you but this has been even <laughs> even more fun to have a conversation like this and i just really appreciate the opportunity um and i i love what the uncharted culture is and i'm so glad to see you bringing it to life in such a variety of ways thank you uh take care everybody have a fantastic rest of your week and we'll see you back next time and that's a wrap on another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation today with Dr. Molly McAllister. And if you enjoyed it, please let us know on social media. Uh, we would love, I, I would love to be able to do more episodes like this. And we would love to hear your thoughts uh, as we try some different things heading into the new year here. So um, let us know what you think. And um, if you love the podcast in general and you've not given us a review, we would love it if you would head over to wherever you obtain your podcast from and leave us a review. That's the best way to let us know what you're thinking about the podcast. 
Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next time.